Hello and welcome to Celebrating Cinema. Yay! A podcast for the love of cinema. As always, I'm joined by Hugh Ho. Hey, what's up? Tom. What up? And this time, Basha Moore. Hi. <laughs> and Basha is back for Tom's special episode of Guilty Pleasures. Perhaps, Tom, you can tell us why you've picked this and a definition of what Guilty Pleasures are. So, um, we're screening The Room. Tommy Wiseau's The Room. The So Bad It's Good movie. Um, we're tomorrow and... Uh, the day afterwards, we have our two sold-out screenings uh, following the screening, which was very conveniently booked on my birthday <laughs> <laughs> that you were at, Elliot. It was your maiden voyage seeing it, right? Uh, together with all spoons flying around and stuff like that, amongst, amongst other things. Um, and seeing it again and realizing how wonderful it is, I thought maybe we should think and talk about what is a guilty pleasure. So um, I looked up the, um, the definition of a guilty pleasure, and from that uh, we can maybe start a conversation of what that means for us looking at films that we hold in high regard, but somehow some elite doesn't think we should be watching, but we still like. So here's the guilty pleasure uh, wikipedia page a guilty pleasure is something such as a film a television program or a piece of music that one enjoys despite understanding that it is not generally held in high regard or is seen as unusual or weird for example a person may secretly like a movie but will admit that that particular movie is poorly made and or generally seen as not good Total shit. <laughs> so, so, yeah, I, I, as I said earlier, like, I have no idea what this really means. And it brought back a memory of um, my ex-girlfriend once telling me that I should stop calling things guilty pleasures because she always said, like, things that, like that don't exist at all. You either like something or you don't. There's no need to feel guilty about uh, really enjoying the Naked Gun franchise or enjoying the comedy movies that Schwarzenegger made in the 90s. There's nothing wrong with liking twins. In a secret lab somewhere in the Western Hemisphere, the perfect human specimen has been born. He has the strength of 10 men and the wisdom of 20. He also has a twin brother. I have a brother? Oh my goodness, are you good? Arnold Schwarzenegger. Born to be bad. And Danny DeVito. Way to go, Mom! Are twins. My name is Julius. I'm your twin brother. Obviously. That's right. Twins. Coming this Christmas. I do think it serves a purpose to feel shame or to feel guilty about something, about liking something. And I've been thinking about this. What is this purpose for me? And it is that some things I don't like. There are things like, for example, Naked Gun. I like the Naked Gun. I will talk about it at parties. I don't care. I'm not really ashamed. Nice beaver. Thank you. I just had it stuffed. Let me help you with that. But there are things that I don't like telling people about because it's really private. So when I'm watching those movies, it's, uh, it's actual me time. So it's something 
that's that's not for uh, uh, that's not a kind of performance. Like this is my taste um, yeah. for everyone to see. It's something that I enjoy by myself, and it is because it's bad actually. This is really interesting. This is a thing that I was thinking about as well. That you know, the guilty pleasures operates on this field of contention where somehow we are able to I, make our own identity almost or construct it around our taste patterns, right? Or our profile of what we like and dislike. Mm -hmm. The fact that, you know, I like, as everybody knows, Miami Vice 2006 and oh, the Clint Eastwood. <laughs> <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> well, that, that came fa falling out of the air. Yeah. Where did that come from? Well, the fact that I like that and, for instance, the Clint Eastwood, you know, it's very easy to rally a part of your identity behind that and a part of that can be done maybe in a wink wink ironic way which is i guess what many of the fans of maybe the room will also do mm -hmm. like they say look at how media savvy we are that we are actually able to appreciate the room for what it is i did not hit her it's not true it's bullshit i did not hit her i did not oh hi mark oh hey johnny what's up i have a problem with lisa she said that i hit her <laughs> what well did you no, it's not true. Don't even ask. As kind of like almost a meta experience or an uh, extra layer of a watching film. A sinking man's entertainment. Almost, uh, yeah. yeah. Like, but then, it, like you say, Bosch, when it becomes like really intimate and there's a part of a film that you maybe really, really deeply identify with or there's just a part of it that, that is just kind of awkward or not really, you know... Mm -hmm. that common you basically have to acknowledge well i kind of stand out from the rest and this is of course weird for people to do i guess that this is where this comes in and i think that is fine except for when it's not and when it's not it's often because a guilty pleasure is framed in this kind of like classical archetypal way you know it's a lowbrow or it's a thing from the 90s or from the 80s but is it or still like that i don't think so well, i think we're all pretty proud of our bad taste yeah but this is so mm. strange to me though that you know nowadays for instance like um it's become of course you know very not nerdy for instance to like comic book movies because they're the dominant form of like mainstream, mainstream. blockbuster yeah. production but what i find very interesting then is that many of those comic book films are kind of dismissive of their comic book origins. They try to be, for instance, very quippy about the source material and being kind of like almost post-ironic treating that material, saying like, oh, this is so silly. We're in a we're like we're in a comic book movie universe. Let's try to make this meta joke about it so we don't acknowledge that it is kind of nerdy to begin with. So it is still, even though it's mainstream, they still try to make things a guilty pleasure in a way. I'm not sure if you're mm. reading this. Uh, like recently the new trailer for the Spider-Man movie dropped, right? And like the trailer already makes a joke about this Octavius uh, guy, you know, the eight-legged uh, automated uh, mm -hmm. villain. Alfred uh, Molina. Once played Alfred by Molina him. again. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And they actually make jokes about his name then in the trailer, even though like all of the names in the fucking comic book movie are silly but it seems like the movie is resisting its own source material so there even is a character inside the marvel universe that pops up just because of that thing that you said and it completely brings us back to guilty pleasure movies and that's howard the duck because everybody <laughs> in the marvel universe or before the marvel universe became this huge ass uh, franchise 
There was the George Lucas Howard the Duck movie that everybody completely hated. Every duck's got his limit, and you scum have pushed me over the line. Jimmy, do you like to see what I see? A talking duck? Yeah, that's <laughs> it. I've been doing too much toot. Shoot! Fly away! Shoot. <laughs> no one laughs at a master of quack foo. But now it's inside Marvel movies as this. Hey, look, that's that's meta. It's Howard Duck. Yeah, and I think what's kind of dangerous about this, and that's kind of the, I think the ultimate point I want to make about it is that many of these films are like too big to fill, right? They're like, they're so expensive, the marketing budget is so big, everybody's supposed to go see them. I've been to Eternals as well, because I was kind of curious to see what it's like. If we're talking about like guilty pleasures, everybody should feel very guilty if they like that, <laughs> I would say. That's like, there are some interesting things about it, but to be frank, the film is a piece of shit. And I'm wondering when, when if there will be this kind of like, collective sense of guilt maybe about rallying behind these films because often you see people who are very weaponized that you need to like these films or that it's very bad to critique them like the, now online as well like Chloe Zhao you know she needs to make this film and ma needed it needs to be good almost because otherwise it will be sexist of, or racist of us to not like it or something there's something very strange that it's at the convenience of Disney that Critics of the film are almost being silenced in favor of it. This is a reason to like guilty pleasures or to like the term a guilty pleasure because sure. it's a way to differentiate between the, the big mainstream entertainment stuff, which you can like, it's, it's fine, and, uh, and other stuff. So maybe it's good to like go back and look at, because for me, if I look at where do I find <clears throat> guilty pleasures in my life and in cinema? It's mostly things that I really enjoyed when I was younger. Mm -hmm. So that bring me, brings me into complete nostalgia mode. But then like looking at those films, as I said, like Twins, uh, 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 Arnold Schwarzenegger, Kindergarten Cop, which I love to bits. This is where we insert a quote of him screaming. It's not a tumor. Oh, I have a headache. It might be a tumor. It's not a tumor. <laughs> uh, what's that? What's that Arnold Schwarzenegger film where he needs to buy Christmas presents? Oh, Jingle All the Way. Jingle All the Way. Uh, very, this is, very this relevant. This for is the this <laughs> is this like Black Friday. And then, then we come into the into that special fold where something re I would say is just shit, but then now Hugo will say that is his guilty pleasure movie. That's a great <laughs> film, man. That's like Black Friday. Double man doll. <laughs> Oh, excuse me. Yes? I'm trying to find a German doll. Me too, me too. Do you have any more in the back? <laughs> what? I see nothing. <laughs> What did I say? These, these guys are looking for a turbo man? A German <laughs> dog, yes. <laughs> it's also a little bit more recent, I think, Jingle All yeah. the Way. I'm, so maybe it doesn't appeal to Tom because it's he was older when yeah, it came yeah, out. Oh, yeah. Tom, yeah, Tom yeah, is yeah. aging. It's for me. For me, <laughs> I'm, I'm not, aging. not a lot of people yeah. know that. <laughs> <laughs> not a lot of people know that. Um, no, for, yeah, exactly. That's true. Like for me, it's the the downward slope of Schwarzenegger's career. Then you start going into uh, not the sixth sense, but the the sixth 
The sixth day. There you go. Yes. I can't remember the title. I am so old. It's been 84 years. It's been 84 years. Uh, <laughs> and uh, and for me, so for I have this I have this deep love for just a certain period of of uh, of Schwarzenegger. Same goes with talking about these. Uh, big action guys because uh, <laughs> when I started making my of course I made another little list uh, of guilty pleasures <laughs> there's like these of every of all those guys there's one so for Schwarzenegger it's like the comedy period for Jean-Claude Van Damme I really like Hard Targets okay so it's directed by John Woo which makes it better he's called Chance Boudreau which is just the weirdest name for a character ever and he punches a snake which attacks him, like mid-movie. Jean-Claude Van Damme is the hard target. You miss me? From internationally acclaimed action director John Woo. Hospital to be hunted! You tell me! Hard target. It's just wonderful. <laughs> um, but it's what in Holland Fun we fact, would Paul Frufu was definitely referencing Hard Target <laughs> when he was yeah, making Benedetta yes. he was like yeah. need and some more John Woo in this movie Hard Target <laughs> is a better film because it's a puppet there and not CGI <laughs> right it's not Christ superhero Christ in Benedetta showing totally. up yeah this is the most important criterion <laughs> for sure <laughs> um, and then you have Double Impact which, uh, also, ah. which I also really yeah, like cool him film. playing his yeah. twin um yeah, it's like I, I I ended up finding some very good sort of Van Damme movies from that time, and then and the other one, of course, is Stallone from the same era. But then my guilty pleasure of Stallone is not Rambo Three, where I think the kill count is somewhere around three hundred and fifty people that yeah, he kills with a with like a mini gun that has endless bullets in one scene, where you go like maybe you should reload actually, but <laughs> no, I need to kill the Afghans. <laughs> oh yeah, that's what yeah he goes to Afghanistan, yeah, yeah. K- killed pretty much everybody. It was once dedicated <laughs> to the brave Mujahideen fighters, oh, and then shit. it was not. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> they, in the theatrical cut, it was, and then when it got released on home release, it was dedicated to the like the survivors of the Mujahideen fighters. <laughs> like really sick. Ancient enemy, make prayer about these people. You wish to hear? Mm-hmm. Very good. It says, "May God deliver us from the venom of the cobra, teeth of the tiger, and the vengeance of the Afghan." You understand what this means? That you guys don't take any shit. Uh, yes, and then that, that gets that years later that gets another sequel with Rambo Four in Burma. Uh, yeah, and I remember that coming out, and I needed, I had to buy the Region One DVD theatrical cut because that had the most horrific slaughter of a yeah, village to show. Cool. Like these people are so bad. Remo needs to kim- come in and kill, kill them, them all. <laughs> and to show them the show that they are really bad. Like one soldier stabs a dog and throws him into a, to a fire. Like, oh yeah, this is really bad. And for the European market, they took that out because everyone was like, we don't really need to see that at all. <laughs> but I, it's so great. It's, it's it's yeah. He kills a guy sitting in a in a van that has like a, a a machine turret at the back yeah so the guy is in the driver's seat and he just blasts he just him absolutely splatters at, him. yeah yeah it's, it's so bizarre but Hugo, is it for you as well that uh guilty 
guilty pleasure is um, entwined with nostalgia. Yeah, I was thinking about this. That's kind of funny that it's almost becomes this kind of like Proustian referee of like teenage years. So maybe you just feel very like we've talked about, you know, nos- back to being young. And we've talked about in a, in a previous episode about this like sickly commercial drive of, of nostalgic media yeah. uh, entertainment. Um, and I think that's where maybe one of the essences of like wh- how we now consider what, what we consider uh, guilty pleasures to be that it lies there that, you know, we just want to maybe feel validated in our childhood preferences, or maybe we just want to accommodate our childish needs, which still are in us, but maybe we have learned to kind of put them aside or not listen to them or, you know, rationalize them or intellectualize our taste and behavior. Whereas the thing is, we always focus on the guilty part, yeah. but never on no, the, the pleasure, pleasure. part. Yeah, it's exactly. about pleasure. Yeah. And we can allow ourselves to to watch things that are pleasurable. And often, I think, that is um, uh, going back to your childhood, when, yeah. when you were all about the pleasure and not about the intellectual stuff. Yeah. But, um, but it's like yeah. to come back to the guilty pleasure thing, like... I guess literally this is thing that nobody maybe really talks about in this sense, but I guess the best guilty pleasures I've had as a teenage person was just literally discovering porn, right? (laughs) Which was also (laughs) deeply intertwined with film because you're starting... And guilt, probably. Yeah, and guilt, exactly. Like, literally, that's also, like, there the Christian kind of dichotomy of, like, pleasure and guilt really kicks in. But... um, you know, downloading films on the internet and then also discovering through LimeWire or Kazaad that you can download porn. I guess those things... Sometimes like, accidentally. I remember <laughs> trying to download Blade Trinity, which is a bad <laughs> film, by the way, like objectively. That's not a it was about a different Blade, <laughs> I guess. And then boom, yeah, you know, I suddenly like entered, entered, entered into a brave new world of something totally different. That was, I guess, you know, if I think about that, it gave me both, I guess, guilt and pleasure. Um... Vis-a-vis film, I think, like, I'm now at the point where I'm really trying to get rid of all the, like, notions of guilt. Just like you say, Basha, film watching should be often just pleasurable. And even if a film is not good, and I think we can all agree, either as critics or programmers or just film lovers in general, that it can still be a very satisfying experience to see something, either collectively or on your own, that is maybe not necessarily good. Yeah, but I think it's still sometimes guilt has has a function. Yeah. So if you say, um, "Well, I'm not feeling guilty. I'm eating meat every day," and uh, I mean, sure. maybe that's not the best choice. You can do it, but think about this choice that you're making. So when you say, "I watch whatever I want and it gives me pleasure. I don't care. I don't believe in guilty pleasures." Maybe that's also not the best choice. Maybe sometimes it's good to uh, to be more intellectual, quote unquote, yeah. and to to push yourself and to totally. to watch things that are not pleasurable or not easy to understand, but give you something lasting. But that doesn't mean that you should feel guilty when you watch something that just gives you pleasure, I think. Yeah. So you can, I think it's good to really examine what what your taste is like, what, what every piece of taste that you have, so to say, what it is actually, and to really look at it and to uh, think, uh, do I feel guilty about this? Do I feel ashamed about this? Because 
someone is telling me that I should feel this shame or society is telling me? Or is it something that tells me that I should be careful with? This is interesting when you bring like different other considerations into the fold, like for instance, the ethics of filmmaking or, you know, the people behind the film. I guess that, you know, we could also talk then about either, I don't know, Roman Polanski or Woody Allen or the way that we kind of like process their films right now as well. You have uh, these great essays by Claire Dederer um, um, uh about like monsters men and the art that they create mm-hmm. and she's grasp- grasping with this kind of like or she's really wrestling with the idea of well i'm totally obsessed with woody allen and his films but i'm also obsessed with woody allen and his films because he is woody allen and he is kind of <laughs> like a maybe preferred bastard and i just i'm she's basically obsessed also with the idea of being able to be that to be a monster, to be a bad person. She's examining it. She's examining it. And she's, by doing that, she's, I guess, also examining this idea of, like, should I feel guilty about really, really liking his stuff? Because maybe... Nobody is going to tell you uh, it's forbidden to watch those movies. So you have to make up your own mind. Exactly, exactly. Uh, What do I think? Do I feel bad watching them? Or do I feel good and I like them? Then, Then you should just watch them. I mean, I don't care. But this is something that we're you gonna sh- come to your home <laughs> and kill you because you're watching Annie Hall. <laughs> yeah. But however, I want to ask the question to all of you though. Then, are there films, you know, or maybe film directors or whatever, that when somebody says that they really, really like them, that you kind of want to shame them or almost kill them or go to their home with a pitchfork? Do you have that kind of like resistance to judgment? That kind of judgment? Yeah, maybe. Do you sometimes grab with that as well? That you kind of sometimes judge people for their taste as well? When Hugo says that Pain and Glory is a good movie. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, I'm like, I like Pain and Glory, but I'm not like a Pedro Omodovar hardliner, so I'm cool with that, you know? I'm just not gonna (laughs) go all the way for him. Oh, yeah, shit. So, yeah, this is my thing that I really don't like Pedro Almodovar. Like, like a couple of weeks ago, I was talking to a programmer of a cinema in Amsterdam, and she said to me, like, uh, you don't like Pedro Almodovar? I was like, oh, this is the moment where I get shamed. And there was this moment of silence, and she's, a, she's quite a bit older than I am. And she said to me, like, that's so liberating, because I <laughs> also deeply hate <laughs> Pedro Almodovar films. And we got to this conversation, like, yeah, it's like, it's, it gets more soapy with every movie. And, and I was like, oh. That's and nice. I thought, yeah. why the hell do I feel yeah. liberated now yeah. that I need other people to tell me that it's okay to not like something? Mm. Is that almost a guilty pleasure in itself, not liking something that you should like? Ooh. Oh, like a hate watch, Ooh. like yeah. a healthy hate yeah. watch. Guilt is also, is also pleasurable. Yeah, it is. Like, it's a very uh, intoxicating, like, very powerful feeling, of course. Yeah. Because, yeah, your feelings to Pedro Almodovar is probably how I feel to Wes Anderson. Quite a confession. <laughs> I, well, I'll Which give Anderson? You, I'll give you Wes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Not Roy. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll, I'll give you one though. Like I deeply distrust people that don't like the modern um, Terence Malick trilogies. Like, of if people are not oh. into, uh, it's gonna attack me now. If people are not into To the Wonder and Night of Cups and uh, Sun to Sun, I, I deeply distrust you. I don't think this is right. <laughs> I don't think I have these kind of 
judgments, but I do, I'm very aware when people only name movies made by men, about men, and, you know. I.e. Wes Anderson. <laughs> no, that's, no. Not, that's not true. No, but Wes Anderson is I mean, better than people. Your favorite movies can be made by men and uh, featuring men. That's that's fine. But if every movie that you name is like that, then I'm starting to get a little bit suspicious or I'm like, I don't know if we can really level. Bring up Dirty Dancing now. I don't think it's a guilty pleasure for me. No, 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 for me neither. But I remember, and you will remember as well, that let's say 10 years ago, that yes. was very different. Yeah. I always describe this as, and uh, listeners who are not from Holland or uh, our expats here will not understand this baby, but we have, I think I said this before, uh, a channel on the TV which is called SBSS. And I always describe these films as SBSS movies mm. or now RTL Zeven movies. Mm -hmm. um, they screen a lot of guilty pleasures. And I remember like Dirty Dancing was screened all the time. And it was, people were like, yeah, well, it's Dirty Dancing again. And that movie is like completely, it has changed. The movie itself almost has changed. But the way that we look at it now has changed a lot. Nobody puts baby in a corner. Uh, that movie was made as this really serious coming-of-age movie for an adult audience. And then it got this... It turned out to be this really big hit because teenage girls liked it. I think yeah. this is the story behind it. And so we you stopped taking it seriously. Yeah, yeah, but we, we need stopped to bring in Twilight. In yeah. 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 yeah, no, yeah. totally. Yeah. But there is something that I wa want to read to you. Nice. And it's not about dirty dancing. It's actually about Sex in the City which is also two movies, but it's more, you know... An HBO series. Yeah. And um, Emily Nussbaum, she's the TV critic of The New Yorker. She wrote about it a couple of years ago, and I really, really liked that article, and she's really on fire. And um, she said, it's a defense of the, the series, and she says, uh, by the show's 15-year anniversary, we fans had trained ourselves to downgrade the show to a guilty pleasure. And she's talking about why it's not a guilty pleasure and, and why it's actually about a female anti-hero. And then she says something that I've always remembered. Um, she talks about an une unexamined hierarchy. And she says, the assumption that anything stylized or formulaic or pleasurable or funny or feminine or explicit about sex rather than violence or made collaboratively must be inferior. So there's a lot of things going on here. And I think it's really, really interesting. And it also says something about a film like Dirty Dancing. And it also has this thing in there, or feminine, because um, she's talking about Sex in the City and also about Sopranos, which is really like highbrow uh, television. But at the time they made those two shows, HBO, they were the same thing, actually. But now we, like she says, we downgrade it. And that's, I think, um, it's sexist. It's totally. But it's not only about sexism. No. It's also about, um, um, yeah. But I think it's kind of like the link between the this, this sexism and like gender in your media consumption, but also just this general draw 
of like genuine eroticism in popular culture. Like I remember like be, I worked as a librarian and you know one of the most popular books of course in the Netherlands were the Bouquetreeks. Mm. Those were like the in Dutch we'd call them the streekromans like the the little novels that are taking place on the yeah, countryside. The romance novels. Yeah, like a woman falls in love with, you know, maybe the gardener or the you know <laughs> the the guy that comes to bring the pose or whatever just wait, like wait, wait wait wait. Is this leading up to <laughs> you telling us that 50 shades of gray it's into guilty pleasure for you. Wait, no, 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 no. Oh, wait. I actually <laughs> did read that book because I thought, me like, too. I thought the that it was one. very, yeah, me too. I thought it was very uh, interesting how that become became kind of like synonymous with this kind of like both with mainstream conceptions of like BDSM and sex things, but also just became this totally gendered attack on the book itself that it became such a medium phenomenon that it became very popular to hate it. So I did read it. I also did watch Twilight for the same reason because it was very easy to hate on it, just like hating back then on, I don't know, Justin Bieber or whatever, without really trying to understand what was the appeal at the first place. Mm -hmm. But this goes back like to... And for who it was made. For who it was made. And this goes back to the story of being a librarian and this being one of like these this series of books being the most popular books often in many libraries. And for a good reason, I guess, because they give... A, like we said, like a sliver of pleasure. There's uh, escapism. There's escapism. There's erotic, erotic like potential and thrills and and this kind of like fantastical element to it. That's pretty neat, you know. That's pretty cool. And if it brings people to the library to read books, that's I guess good. But those books are often, you know, referenced as like the lowest of the lowest, the bottom of the barrel when it comes to literature, and. This, all of these things get conflated even when you have a series like Sex in the City that is probably like objectively really good, you know? Mm -hmm. That's kind of crazy. The That's second movie is not that good. No, oh, true, totally. no, but this goes into the like capitalization of the nostalgia thing as mm -hmm. well. Like, you know, it's kind of painful when you have something that product, even calling it a product sucks, but a thing that is genuine and nice like a TV series and then make... A film about it look at the fucking sopranos film which is a nightmare in every possible way that's like the people that made that they should feel guilty you know for bringing even like um for even bringing uh what's what's the um, the actor of tony soprano uh jesus what's his name uh, james, james gandolfini to bringing gandolfini's son into that <laughs> like disastrous movie <laughs> That's awful. Does man. he also act by uh, breathing through his nose? Because <laughs> yeah, he that's, does. Like that's he does the mannerism, but oh, okay, that's okay. even more sickly, you know, to give him such a piece of shit film to work with and then wrestle with the legacy of his father. What about something totally different? What about the "it's so bad, it's good" thing that we like about the room? Yeah. The ironic yeah. viewing. What? How does that fit into the guilty? Pleasure thing. Yeah, where does it fit in the Matrix? I'd, I'd even up that. How does the Rocky Horror Picture Show fit in there? Because that's like, okay, so we do, these are interactive screenings that we usually do. Is like, they're such an interesting collective experience of something which, especially with the room, is considered shit. So it's suffering through it collectively, turns it into very human experience i guess and that's the same thing with what we're discussing like the pleasure versus the guilt like all these things that we've discussed now 
are very much coming close to apparently something that's really human. That's really about, as you said, about identity and which comes very close to who you are personally and maybe also collectively. Maybe that's yeah. the whole thing why we like it to experience. But some of the people that come to those screenings have seen this film like a zillion times, right? Or know it from seeing just the clip of him uh, buying flowers and saying, hi, doggy. Can I help you? Yeah, can I have a dozen red roses, please? Oh, hi, Johnny. I didn't know it was you. Here you go. That's me. How much is it? It'll be $18. Here you go. Keep the change. Hi, doggy. You're my favorite customer. Thanks a lot. Bye. Bye-bye. And, and now wanting to see it in its complete form. And then while seeing it in the cinema, they realize it's even more than that. I remember seeing it the first time here, and I, I will go on record to say that which I always do in, in my intro, is that I've seen Tarkovsky's here and I've seen uh, Terminator 2 here and uh, I've seen, uh, you like this, uh, Hugo? I've seen uh, The Tree of Life here. <laughs> uh, but, uh, or Thin Red Line. But nothing comes close to seeing the room in a full, fully sold out screening room, throwing spoons, uh, quoting along, etc. I mean, you can yeah, I can you can attest to this. Yeah. yeah, it was probably my favorite experience. But I think that's just because it was so communal, and like you said, it was a very shared experience. And this is also what I experienced watching Drag Me to Hell, which is yeah, my that's, favorite. That's such uh, a cool film. Uh, yeah, yeah. And I was at uh, Pate de Munt with a full room, and everyone at at the beginning of the film was watching their phones and not paying attention, and I was kind of getting irritated. But then, you know, everything is uh, th there's these jokes, and it's disgusting. That film and goes so hard. <laughs> and yeah. Everyone yeah. is like. Uh, <laughs> There, there's one reaction in the yeah. Person. What You're, the fuck? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just but laughing from out. Sam Raimi <laughs> is, well, he's a very interesting girl on this subject because he does something really weird, right? I mean, he, he makes good movies. He, <laughs> he makes. <laughs> no, but he not a lot of people do that. <laughs> not a lot of people do that. But he really taps into that weird stratosphere somewhere between fully be but we didn't know we were doing it and making something which feels like a b movie but which is made so well that it's it sort of topples the system of how how do you even critique that right i mean from what angle are you gonna engage with that it's all about pleasure it's exactly it's like a gleeful, it's yeah. a gleeful filmmaker who just knows like he just takes a lot of joy out make making films look and feel nice and this and is he I can do it and I mean, he, he can he can, to he do can it. totally he can pull it off and this is a thing like that i'm seeing now and you know like many many of the films that are the most expensive at the moment just seem very lifeless in a, in a way just kind of almost sterile or kind of like gray slob or something it just doesn't really trigger a lot of emotions other than you're just consuming a bit of story yeah um and this makes it impossible for it i probably ever to be a guilty pleasure because there's not that much to feel guilty about to begin with and there's not that much pleasurable about it i guess and then sometimes now you go to the movies and you see a film that is a little bit genuinely crazy again or, or out there or really do, does something on a bigger scale with a big budget and 
it's kind of catered ideally to a commercial audience. You're like, Jesus, this is so cool. This is amazing. They should make more of these films. This is, this is what Basje s- said before we started recording about uh, the Liam Neeson movie that you saw. The Ice Road. Oh, I want to see that film. <laughs> it's yes. good. I yes. totally want to see I that I saw film. the trailer. Yeah. I was like, I'm going to see this. And I went and I really liked it. That's so cool. But it's man. really bad. I mean, yeah. it is bad and they yeah. know it's bad, but there's just pleasure in that. And it's it's absurd. It's an absurd movie. But I still don't know how to rate it because it's not good, but I liked it. Um, uh, I'm never gonna, I'm gonna forget it in a year. I'll never think about it again. So how do you rate a movie like that? Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking of old, the M. Night Shyamalan film, which is, I think, one of the be- best films of the year. Like genuinely, like it's a f- fucking great film. What happens to her mom? I don't know. <laughs> What happened to her? Body has decomposed. How quickly can that happen? Seven years. But she just died. Wait, where are the kids? Trent! Kara! Come here! Hey, have you seen my children? Mom? I'm I'm right here. <laughs> Dad, why are you looking at me like that? And a lot of people think it's somehow bad because the dialogue for them seems stunted or kind of like weird or off-putting or something, which just goes to show that people just want dialogue that goes in like corn syrup, you know? They just want to like smooth stuff in in a mainstream film. Whereas I'd rather have a film that kind of grates, that kind of does something weird and just does something genuinely interesting. Mm -hmm. Like that film... Yeah, you can watch that film probably in 10, 20 years and think like, damn, M. Night Shyamalan was on some other shit when he made that. And you're not going to think of that when you see The Eternals or something, totally. I will disagree with you on everything. Well, no, I will disagree with you on the twist. I hated the twist, but everything leading up to it was dragged me to hell insane. Yeah, it was so Which good. Which I really it enjoyed. It was so good. But mm-hmm. when, it, when the twist happens, it, it, it completely lost me, and then I started hating it. But I will always uh, counterpoint this with, I remember when Signs came out, oh, yes. people fucking hated that film. <laughs> yeah. Like, everybody really hated that movie. And every time when it's on TV, I watch it. Yeah. And it's a fucking great film. People break down into two groups when they experience something lucky group number one sees it as more than luck more than coincidence they see it as a sign evidence that there is someone up there watching out for them group number two sees it as just pure luck happy turn of chance when when you're reviewing and critiquing these films in a professional sense, do you treat them differently or are you taking a similar or the same approach with your with these guilty pleasures that you watch? Because obviously you're going to review them in some sense. No. Well, uh, I'm going to put all in my top 10 list of this year for the, for for our magazine, for sure. So, but I didn't write the review. Um, but no. would, would you write about it in the same way that you would write about any other film? Or are you 100%, conscious? yeah, totally. No, I, like, I'm not sure what you think of that, Bosch, uh, but I think, you know, that... Literally every work of art or 
of, of culture can be treated in, in the same way. You can yeah, but you look at context yes, also. Yes, exactly. And our, our previous editor-in-chief, uh, Dana Linse, she always said something that I think was very wise, that you can write very heavy-handed about very light things, and you can write very light about heavy-handed things, and you can do it the other way around as well. That's all fine, and that's like that liberated me a lot. Like you don't need to put things on a matrix of taste and and level of commerce to write about it in a certain way. You can just write about everything from the same critical uh, standpoint. But every film, of course, like you say, Basha, has its own context that you might have to grapple with. Of course, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. I found it really hard to. I I wouldn't like to write about ice road the ice road mm. except when it was a personal essay and i could really yeah. uh, uh tell tell something about what i enjoy about it but i wouldn't like to review it in a uh, quote-unquote objective way because then i wouldn't really know how to frame it or it wouldn't be interesting to me i'm thinking about it, it was very off-putting to read all the reviews of this totally different the new kanye west album donda where it seems like everybody is just taking kind of like a critical fast track to condemn Kanye West for some of his personal views and behaviors, and then just write, the album is too mixed up, is in his own drama, we're going to give it two or three stars, and not engage anyhow, in any sense almost, with any of the music, with any of the things that are the work of art. It's maybe only itself. context. It's only way. context. Yeah. And with music, that often is easier, I guess. People conflate those two things. And I would say that in rap, context is capital. That's also how you make yourself maybe known as an artist and you play with that as an artist. So that's fine. But then to not actually critically engage with the work of art itself is very silly to me. And was I thought that was like very lazy. Mm. Um, and I thought that was a great reminder for me to never do that. Like... Just not like context is key, but it's not everything, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. To sort of wrap this up, I want to throw a sardine up in the air and have <laughs> you cats talk about this. <laughs> because looking back on like the last couple of years as a programmer, I thought like, what what's going to... There's always like these things uh, like there that i think like when am i going to program this when i'm when am i going to present these films as being more than either visible as they would say in life of brian uh, or that people can just enjoy them with the guilt and the pleasure like mm. twilight for me as w- especially has been just a thing that when i started working here like i'm there's going to be a marathon someday oh, yeah, totally. where where it's going to be not People going like, oh, I'm now watching Twilight again. Oh no, sure, let's watch him. Yeah. From the beginning, it was Nessie who wanted me there. Nessie? You nicknamed my daughter after the Loch Ness Monster? But a couple of years, is it two years ago? Cats came out. Yeah. And when that came out and everybody hated it, I thought like, yeah, you know what? Like, give it, give it give, a couple of give years. Give it a couple of years. And we'll have a screening here yeah. with everybody dressed as cats. My question would be, to sort of wrap this up, is what is the future of guilty pleasures? Because I have the feeling from this conversation that our way of looking at us has changed a bit, That we are, we, but we also want to 
embrace the fact that it's there, the pleasure and the guilt. How how are we how are we looking at cats <laughs> and the future of guilty pleasure? I have no idea. Great, <laughs> and that's celebrating. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. Monico. Yeah, maybe we need to kind of like you know the audience all over the world. We need to collectivize and we need to you know overthrow Disney. <laughs> nationalize it <laughs> banish all of the like marvel f- films just throw them in a ditch and then spend all that sweet sweet money on just crazy films that are way cheaper but like you know let people do some weird shit and then some of them will fill and people will not like it but we will have something to remember in a couple of years right um yeah, that that must be the future. <laughs> we just we need have, to collectivize. We, we need to rally uh, around films that are allowed to be crazy again, I guess. Yeah. And, you know, sure. if where Cats fits into that, yeah, only time will tell. And I think that's also maybe the beauty about it, that those things can change organically and you, like, people can kind of guide you in that and can ha- hold your hand in into this process of accepting the guilt and relishing the pleasure maybe which is what we apparently collectively do yeah totally all the because time there are the movies that we've talked about we've collectively changed the opinion that some have come up with and we've challenged that opinion and we've changed that and now dirty dancing is a great film yeah. It is. It's a very hopeful thing, maybe. I think if we just kind of rally against normalcy or this idea that there is this normal center and just try to um, push each other to go further in the things that we like that are kind of crazy, that's kind of cool. You want friends that like crazy things, right? Um, you don't only want friends <laughs> that like the top 10 on IMDb. Although those films are actually yeah, kind of fine as well. Yeah, but you want to be challenged. Yes. Yeah. So that's that's kind of like the aim, maybe. And um, that takes some resisting nowadays, maybe, because there's a lot of films that are kind of black. And that's the thing about The Room. It is uh, pleasurable, but it's also challenging in a way. Mm. So I think uh, we've come full circle. <laughs> yeah. That. Well, and on that note... Tomorrow we're sold out, and on Saturday we're sold out as well. So, so no room for you. <laughs> no room for the room. Well, that just means that that is a film that will have to be screened more often, and people will just have to maybe see that and experience it yeah. firsthand, and also experience the challenge and see where that brings them. You know, who knows? Yeah, open up. Could you ever see yourself doing a week of these kind of films? A just week of yeah, yeah. So Marathon. Mar- marathon of, of, yeah, well, why not? Maybe I mean, this is the moment where Hugo now will interject me and say, like, when is the Fast and the Furious franchise playing? <laughs> family. 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 Your brother never told you never threaten a man's family? It's a pretty stupid thing to do. Like you never turn your back on family. There's always room for family. Salute me, familia. I don't have friends. I got family. What's real? His family, your family, hold on to that pride. You don't turn your back on family. Let me ask you something, Dom. What's the best thing in your life? Family. No, it's not. You killed Han. Almost killed my family. But it would be cool if there would be like a guilty pleasure festival and like every 
like different people can kind of like share mm. their guilty pleasure mm. and be proud of it. Like yeah. Confes- and then confession, yeah, confessional yeah. guilty pleasure. Confestival. Thing. Yeah. Mm. Yes. That's it. That's it. Like everybody can have one and we can all say to each other, like, there's nothing to be guilty yeah, about. Yeah, um, okay. That's a great it's okay. yeah. <laughs> shit. And, and we end idea. with a like yeah, this a hug. big hug. We're just human. And then we topple Disney, then we overthrow yes. Disney. What is your thing with Disney? <laughs> Man, they're like they're yeah, they're kinda going against the the this whole thing, man. They're just trying to make mediocre slob, man. This podcast is in no way affiliated with Walt Disney. Hi, everybody. It's me, Mickey Mouse. Well, if you've got any suggestions for our Confestival. Yeah, <laughs> I want to hear other people's yeah. guilty pleasures, yeah. man. Yeah. Shout, Absolutely. shout. Yeah, send them in to Celebrating Cinema at Lab111. Maybe we can now. discuss like a guilty pleasure every episode from now and then just oh, say that yeah. they shouldn't feel guilty about it. Yeah. They can, we can exactly. make like this. Confessional into, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Ooh, the Confessional Corner. Yeah, the Confessional Corner. Yeah. Well, write in, please. Let us know. Thank you, Basha, as always, for joining us. Hopefully, we'll have another great episode for you to join us. Okay. <laughs> um, with Christmas on the horizon, we're going to attempt to do an alternative Christmas special. So that's what's up next. Otherwise, thank you for listening. I really enjoy that. Not a lot of people know that. <laughs>